We all know the power of witnessing in a courtroom setting, right? It's official. It has real power to reach real judicial outcomes. But what we think of less is the power of witness in an unofficial setting. Knowledge is power. And when the people have insider knowledge, this becomes quite dangerous on all accounts. This is why there are programs for official witnessing like the Witness Protection Program. Right? You've all heard of this before because it's dangerous. But these are for official witnessing situations. These are programs that the government, the elites, the higher-ups use to protect witnesses on its own side. But what about unofficial witnessing? Like the kind when someone knows something about the government, the higher-ups, the authorities. Well, then all bets are off, and the danger quickly escalates, right? There is no protection program for the people who turn on those who are higher up. Epstein didn't kill himself, right? (laughs) This is a tag-like meme that speaks volumes to the danger of knowing something that the powerful elites do not want you to know, right? This is a dangerous thing to be a Christian witness. Well, in our text today, we see this kind of thing played out. Lazarus has been raised from the dead, and the power of his testimony has spread like wildfire to the masses. Everyone's talking about it. And just the fact that he is alive is a threat to the Jewish elites because every word that comes out of this man's mouth is a testimony, is a witness to the gospel of Jesus. Because the dead man speaks. He was dead, and now he's talking. Now he's hanging out with people. His presence, similar to that of Jesus, is an existential threat to the things or to the way things used to be in this Jewish community. So what I'd like to do this morning is explore some of the facets of this text that deal with the dangers of being a Christian witness. Again, our text is John chapter 12, verses 9 through 11. These are the words of God. Let's give attention to them. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus, the word of God for his people. Let's pray. Father, as we approach your word this morning, a short text, but a powerful text, we pray that you would help us to understand something of its power. We pray, Father, that we, we would see the things that you are speaking to us in the text. We pray that we would see your son Jesus glorified. We pray that we would see a better picture of what it means to be a follower of you. I pray that you'd speak not just to our minds, but also to our hearts, Lord. I pray that you'd compel us and captivate us by the truths that we are reading here and the things that we should be doing because of them. We pray this all in Jesus' name. and Amen. Well, I said a moment ago that we would explore the dangers of being a Christian witness, but you were probably mostly thinking of the dangers of your own life, not so much the dangers to the community or to our society around us. And this is natural for us to do because we love our own lives, don't we? And I say that to our discredit, 
And when I say something like this, we assume that I'm advocating for some kind of self-hate, but I'm not. I'm not advocating for that. On the contrary, when I say we love ourselves to our discredit, what I mean is that we value our own life more than the life of humanity as a whole. We think about ourselves most of the time. Our fallen condition is that we are self-important. Right? We have this self-important inclination. It's a prideful inclination, and let's be honest about it and call it what it is. It's a sinful inclination to be always looking out for our own skin. We often regard ourselves at the expense of the whole, maybe even the whole of humanity. Said another way, we disregard the whole of humanity for the salvation of ourselves. Right? This is something that we all struggle with. We would rather be damned if it meant we could save our own skin. Or the world would be damned if we could save our own skin. It's about us. And for this reason, it's very hard for us to grapple with a concept like martyrdom. Think about that. We ask ourselves, why would I want to follow a religion that might cost me my life? While not realizing all of the misguided assumptions when we ask such a question. That really is the wrong question. And you can see it if you connect it back to our text this morning. morning, If you think about it. We shouldn't wonder why Lazarus didn't try to hide his witness. It's obvious why. He encountered the truth. He, He knew something about the truth. And when you grab hold of the truth, or we might say better, whenever the truth grabs hold of us, you realize that you are far freer than you've ever been when you're honest about it. When you encounter it, it is the most freeing thing that you can experience. And the fact that Lazarus's religious authorities turned on him and were seeking to kill him didn't drive him to be a hermit. He didn't go down into his bunker basement and start storing up stuff. No, he lived an ordinary life. He openly expressed his faith in the Jewish community, and this caused a turn in the religion itself. Just being himself. He was just hanging out, having dinner with his sisters, Martha and Jesus and Mary and and his other friends who have also been healed by Jesus. They're just living life, and that actually made real implications to their community. Look with me in the text at verse 11. Verse 11 says this. Because on account of him, that is Lazarus that we're talking about here, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Now step back a moment and evaluate how we got here. How did we get to where on account of Lazarus, this ordinary man, many of the Jews are going away and following Jesus? Well, first of all, we must admit this whole thing started by grace. Lazarus was dead. The text said he stinketh. And then Jesus brought him back from the dead, right? Lazarus was completely saved of Jesus' will. Jesus came to him. Lazarus wasn't looking for Jesus. Jesus went looking for Lazarus. So it was by grace that Lazarus was saved, and he then lived by faith. He was raised from the dead, and he's just living an ordinary life. So there's the first element. Second of all, notice who is following Jesus now besides Lazarus because of what has happened. It's Jews, okay? Not some a-religious people waiting to tag their faith onto something. No, they had a faith. They had a religion. The Jews already had a way of living. And that's exactly what they're moving away from. They're moving away from their religion. Notice the wording in the text. Many of the Jews, okay, the Jews are a certain religious group of people that have beliefs, have a way of living. Many of the Jews were going away. 
Going away from what? That's what we should be asking. Going away from what? Going away from a dead, law-centered religion enforced by chief priests to a lively relationship shepherded by Jesus. Right? A lively relationship-centered religion. They are in relationship with Jesus. This person is going to actually be in community with them, live with them, and shepherd them in the way that they should go. So it was not not only a move from death to life like that of Lazarus. It wasn't just dead religion to lively religion. It was that, but it was also a move away from a top-down government to a kind of grassroots institution based on community and relationship and leading, uh, being led by Jesus who you know and understand and are uh, talking to on a day-to-day basis. Okay, This is where they're moving to. Now, I don't want to make this sermon about politics because it's not. It's about Jesus captivating our lives, but this does have political implications, doesn't it? The way that we understand who Jesus is actually flows out in the way that we live. Just just notice when the people are captivated by the truth, this causes the elites to scramble and find ways to silence them. And you see this in all kinds of ways, don't you? Right? That, that tagline that I said at the beginning, we understand a concept like that, right? This doesn't just happen in governments, though. It happens in churches. It happens in, in families. And it happens in any kind of organization where there's more than just a couple people. It happens all over the place. And I caution going this direction because we as Americans believe oftentimes that democracy, democracy is inherently virtuous. That if we can just get numbers on our sides, that we are right. And hear me loud and clear. I'm not saying that if the people unite on anything, whatever we want, that the authorities then should bow down to the masses. And that power is where it's all at with just getting people and numbers. That's essentially a, a Marxist and kind of a communist cry. That's not where we're going. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, this is why the authorities are actually a good thing meant to keep the people in check. So what am I saying here? What I'm saying is that when the truth, the truth catches fire and spreads among the people, there is no stopping it, even if you are the authorities. Truth is powerful, and witnessing to the truth is even more powerful. You can try to kill Lazarus. You can beat Paul to a pulp to where people think he's dead. You can stone Stephen to where he is dead. You can crucify Peter upside down. You can even kill God incarnate. But death loses its power in the presence of sacrifice. Death is no longer something that witnesses fear when you have the truth brought into the picture. And this is why witness is dangerous. It's very dangerous to be a Christian. Yes, it might be dangerous to your own particular life, but also when you catch a glimpse of the truth, you realize truth is bigger than yourself. Humanity is a whole. You aren't humanity. There's there's a bigger picture here. And when one man lays down his life to save the whole, death loses its power. Over the whole. You see? Death is no longer reigning among the people when someone lays their life down. And if you as an individual lay down your life for the truth in a very real way, your life actually gets larger. And this is why Jesus says, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for my gospel will save it. It's kind of upside down. It doesn't even make any sense if if you think too hard about it. 
Let me say it again. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Okay? So dying for any cause is not virtuous, but dying for the truth is. That's a virtuous cause. Dying for the sake of Jesus and the gospel is worth doing. Our fallen condition disposes us to save ourselves, though. We want to save ourselves. We don't want to lose our life. We want to save ourselves. It says, who I am and what I think is more important than everything else. That's what our sinful inclination thinks. But when we encounter the truth, especially when we encounter the truth in Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, this frees us to love God and neighbor more than ourselves. It opens up a new way of living for us. We learn to say, I love humanity. I love all. I love God. I love neighbor more than me. And where we can say with Paul, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. This is something that only Christians can say. To die is gain. It's better to die. And interestingly enough, Jesus says, when we do this, we will save our life. Salvation comes not through loving myself, but loving God and neighbor. Right? That's what the word tells us. Salvation comes through surrendering your own life for the sake of your neighbor, for the sake of all. And this is precisely the pattern of Jesus. Jesus doesn't just call us to us and tell us to live this way. He did it for us. It's the pattern that this text calls us to, to live like Jesus. It calls us to take up our cross and follow him even unto death if it comes to that. It doesn't mean we seek death. But it does mean that we do not fear death for the cause of life, right? We don't fear death. To be honest, I'm not looking to die today. I don't want to die today. But I will be honest and say with you, I am looking to be so filled with the spirit of truth that I'm willing to die today. My life can be kind of like Lazarus, where just because I follow Jesus... That might put me in danger. That's actually where I want to be. I'm not looking to be controversial uh, just for publicity's sake so people can all look at us and we'll get some, get, get, get some people looking at us and they'll be drawn out here. No, that's not why I want to, uh, to live this way. I am looking, though, to be such a dangerous church uh, that people opposed to Christ would like us to be stomped out. That's the kind of living that we want to be. I want a church full of Lazaruses that if their presence isn't eradicated from the public square, the authorities fear things will not remain the same. That where people see us as a threat in a good way, not just to be controversial, but because we're following Jesus and we're living the way that Jesus lives. That's how I want to be. Your life should be such a witness of Jesus that just living your everyday life is a threat to the rulers and principalities out there. That is actually the normal call to be a Christian. That's not just the radical Christian. That is actually what all Christians should be doing. And when we come together as a community like that, we'll start to see the kingdom of God grow, not just slowly over generations, but it'll speed up pretty quickly, right? Because when you live a a potent life of truth, it makes people have to deal with you, doesn't it? When you live a life of a truth teller, saying what you believe and actually being honest about yourself and in your community, it makes people have to deal with you. Lazarus couldn't be overlooked, right? This was a man that died and now he's alive. And he's just being honest about that. 
He's not looking for a big publicity stunt or anything like that. He is just trying to live his life. And the fact that he's living his life affected by Jesus, it's causing a stirring. It's actually causing people to make uh, people trying to kill him. They're not just trying to kill Jesus anymore. This guy that follows Jesus is being hunted down. And this is something of what Jesus called. This is what Jesus is calling us to live like. When we're following Jesus, this might put us in danger. So ask yourself, what is Christ doing in your life right now that makes you a threat to the powers of injustice and evil in the world? I want you to take that to heart. What is Christ doing in your life right now that is actually making you a threat to your community, to the evil in your community, not the good in your community? But what is Jesus doing in your heart right now that makes you so different that people might want to actually come after you? Does anyone care that you're a Christian? Think about that. Does anyone care that you're a Christian? Because the answer matters for the life of the church, for the future of the church. And I don't just mean the global church either. I mean village church. If we're living a, a Christian life that doesn't matter to anyone, we will die out. But that's not what we want. We want to live a life that is contagious, that is potent, right? The modern church, their seeker-sensitive growth strategy, tries to grow the church by making people as comfortable and non-confrontation as possible. That's been their tactic over the last few years. Let's just not be controversial, not say anything that might get us in trouble. Let's be comfy. We, we want to look like the world so that when they come in here, they're not confronted with anything. They just feel at home. But the early church, they knew this would never work. This would never work. They knew the church would only grow by boldly proclaiming the gospel in the most controversial of places. That's why Paul is out in the Areopagus and, and proclaiming truths, debating with people, right? Ask yourself why wherever Paul went, there was an uproar. But where influential pastors are invited today, they're sitting down and they're on TV having coffee with people, right? Ask yourself that. Why is it that that is the setting that we're in today? But back in the day, Paul was being, uh, it was being beat to a pulp. Think about it. Why is that? Well, it's because the coffee that they're drinking is a lot stronger than their gospel. They're, they're not confronting people with anything. They're not pressing the truth. They're not standing on anything. Martyrdom was the early church's growth strategy, and it worked much better than our current strategy. We're not growing like we used to. It produced a church with a backbone. It was able to stand on something and not budge. The kind where men like Hugh Latimer, if you've heard of him before, Hugh Latimer, he was being burned at the stake, and he said while he was on fire to his friends standing next to him, burning next to him, he said, play the man, Master Ridley. We shall light this day such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. Think of that. He's making jokes to the world as they're burning him to death. And you know what? He did. That's, that's where Reformation started, where men are burning at the stake saying, hey, we're going to be a light for Jesus as you light us on fire. That's the kind of light we're going to be. Right? It gives you goosebumps when you think about these men that had such backbone that they believed in something like this. And the ironic thing about martyrdom is that historically it always has proven to do the opposite of what the ruling elites would like. They think if they light this guy on fire that he'll be gone after that. Oh, no. That is not the way this played out. If you kill a Christian for their faith, expect a revival. Just watch. It'll happen. It really is true, as Tertullian said in the early church, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The more they kill us, 
the more we actually grow even bigger. The more we're persecuted, the more people are compelled to join a religion actually worth dying for. That's the kind of thing that people do want, something worth dying for. And the more we live like that, the more we live like Christ, who is the ultimate martyr. The more we live a life that puts us in danger like Jesus, just living out the truth, because that's what Jesus was doing. Jesus wasn't trying just to get a bunch of attention. He was just trying to be a genuinely good human being. That is what he was doing. That's what we should be doing too. And if you're doing that, it's going to make people upset. So as we close, we've danced around a couple of concepts this morning, uh, but let me close by succinctly summarizing it into these three headings. The power of witness, the dangers of witness, and the outcome of being a witness. Being a witness to the truth influences the powers around you. It's potent it's powerful and it's that way on both sides of the truth right it affects both sides not just the bad side or the good side it's on both sides and the power of influence may look like the crowds following jesus because of you that would be our hope but it might also look like the authorities hunting you down to kill you like lazarus right it affects both sides thus the dangers of being a witness but the ironic outcome of being a witness is that if they do try to silence you, if they try to keep you to be quiet, they will find it only empowers that alternative culture even more. It's only going to make you stronger. It's only going to make them stronger. So the power of your witness is really a danger more to your opposers than it is to your own life, which Jesus even says, if we lay down our life, we'll save our life. Right? This is the way that Jesus calls us to live. And this is the good news of the power of the gospel that Soren Kierkegaard said so well when he said, the tyrant dies and his rule's over, but the martyr dies and his rule begins. That's what it means to be a person that is living in the kingdom of God. When we're able to lay down our life like that, that is how we have real kingdom influence. That's how we have real kingdom power. And this is the way that Jesus lived his life. This is the way that the kingdom started out with one person, the, the size of a mustard seed, and absolutely radically changed the world. That is the power of the kingdom. That is the power of being a Christian witness. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come to you today confessing that we are all, we're, not as, uh, we're not as bold as we often think we are. Lord, I know personally that it's a lot easier to say these things here in the comfort uh, of a church that all believes basically the same thing. But Lord, as we step outside these walls, we pray that you would give us the boldness, the, the courage to be the kind of Christians who are able to live fearlessly in the face of evil and danger. We pray that we would follow your son Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, no matter where it might take us. So Lord, I pray that you would instill such a spiritual backbone in us that we are able to bring real change to our communities, to, to put to death the powers of injustice and evil in our communities around us. Lord, we don't just want a, a vague Christian... Uh,